Well, good morning. It is really good to see you all this morning. I hope that you are doing well. I encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 this morning. We're going to continue in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses uh, 10 through 12. Uh, we're now in our fourth week in, uh, in this letter, of 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 1, and we're going to finish this very important uh, section uh, of 1 Peter. Remember in the, in the Greek, I think I told you last Sunday, uh, those who are here with, uh, with us, that these first uh, verses from verse 3 to 12 is this one ongoing run-on sentence in the Greek. Uh, hard for us to translate sometimes and hard for us to interpret sometimes those, those run-on sentences. But what Peter is doing is he's, he's desiring to drill down on his hearers, on us, and those who are hearing for the very first time some very important truth for Christians and for the church. He's not just passing on information and knowledge like a book does or like a newspaper does to encourage or to give us information uh, or telling us about a particular event that took place. But Peter, although communicating information, he's communicating truth that is pointing people to the truth. People who are suffering, people who are being grieved by persecution, uh, and to be completely enamored with Christ, to be taken back by who Christ is and what Christ has done in them despite their suffering. So remember who Peter's writing to. He's writing to Christian churches that are scattered throughout Asia Minor who are facing sporadic uh, cases of persecution and suffering. And he doesn't tell them to just suck it up. He doesn't tell them to just comply. He doesn't tell them to just love their enemies only. Peter points them to truth by taking them down this long road, worshiping God by remembering the glorious works of God that he has done on their behalf to save them, to sanctify them, and as he has told us over these past weeks, soon to preserve them in order to glorify them. Very important. Now, we're going to unpack some of what we've seen, help us catch up, some of us who have been here, or those who don't remember, verses 1 through one and 2. In greeting, Paul calls them the elect exiles according to the knowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and with His blood meaning you are my chosen people by God the Father before the foundation of the You are my people. You may be exiles. You may be strangers. You may be aliens here, even in your own hometowns. But I have saved you by my Holy Spirit. I sent my Spirit. He pricked your heart. He wooed you. You heard the gospel. You believed in faith. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Holy Spirit continues in our lives to uh, conform us to Christ, to be obedient, and he has accomplished all of this through his son by his blood, that's the price that was paid 
through Christ and by Christ for Christ to the glory of Christ. So in verses 3 through 5 begins the section that we begin to uh, talk about a couple weeks ago. He began this section starting with a doxology. Blessed be the Lord. He says, blessed be the Lord. Look and see why God is to be blessed. It is according to his great mercy. He has caused us. He, the great cause, the great mover, he has caused us to be born again. That's Jesus' language from John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, but a living, sure, steadfast hope in Christ. Through, again, the resurrection of Christ. Christ is living, therefore our hope is living. And we we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance. An inheritance that does not fade an inheritance that does not fail, an inheritance that does not perish. And it's all being done by God's great power, his great mercy at work. And he is guarding in our perseverance, that we would persevere to the end through faith. And so by our faith and through our faith, he is strengthening our faith, that we would endure the difficulty, the suffering, the pain, for a salvation, as he says, that will be revealed in the last day. As we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, that is our eschatological hope. That is our last things, last times hope. This is what we long for. And so in as God is persevering us, and as God is giving us perseverance, then we who are in Christ, we have faith, and we have assurance of the faith because of Christ's all-sufficient work on the cross and by his Holy Spirit's work to save and preserve and endure his elect through life. Not just to the end, not just to death, and, but through death and into life and into a glorious inheritance. Verses 6 through 9. I haven't even gotten started in my sermon yet and I'm already excited. 6 through 9, Peter continues to exhort them. He exhorts them to rejoice. He rejoiced because the trials that you are facing, the trials that you have been facing, and the trials that you will continue to face, they're not there to crush you, but God is using them for now, only for a little while. They will not crush you. They will not separate you from God but rather they are being used to sanctify you, to refine you, like as of pure gold being refined by the fire. Gold needs to be placed into the fire. So does God do in our faith. He brings trials that we would be refined so that one day we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. By our faith, our faith will be that's the point of our suffering. But the glorious results, as we see, will be joy. A joy that is inexpressible. A joy that is glorious. And it will keep us for the salvation of our souls, which, by the way, as we heard from the Apostle Paul last week, that it far outweighs what we may experience here. That's not to diminish the pain. It's not to diminish the suffering but it is to enhance our joy. 
This morning, as we look to verses 10 through 12, as we've seen in these very packed verses in, these, in, in this whole section here, Peter is wanting us to come closer. He's saying, come closer. I want to I I tell you more about how wonderful this is. How amazingly blessed you are. What a privilege you have. Oh, so far, it's been glorious. It's been magnificent. And in, if you're in Christ, you've felt the magnificent blessing of God and the joy of God. But there's more. So come close. And brothers and sisters, come close and listen. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that you have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Have you ever been asked to pretend, to imagine, maybe in a game with a group of friends, the question, if you could travel and visit any time, any place, any person in history or any particular event, where would you go? It's kind of a get to know you kind of question, right? Where would they choose? Where would you, where would you go? I think there's several ways we can answer that, of course. Maybe Maybe to see ancient Rome or ancient Greece. Maybe some other time or place of ancient history. But as a Christian, maybe you're going to be, you're going to answer that more in a Christian kind of way, right? You're going to say, I want to visit some place in the Bible that happened in the Bible. I think going to see maybe is Noah's, Noah's Ark. Not when the water's there, but to see Noah's Ark being built and watch those animals gather in. Maybe it's watching Moses lead God's people against the earthly powers of Egypt and seeing the mighty hand and power of God at work. Or maybe you would like to see Joshua as he marched through the land conquering. Maybe it would be seeing little King David, 13 years old, slay that giant. Or maybe David, when he was a king and he ruled with kindness, and respect and power leading Israel to its heights and dominion. Maybe better, if you're more spiritual than some of us, you'd like to see Jesus. And I think a spectacular moment would be to hear Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. I think those would be some amazing places and some amazing answers and some fascinating times and it's amazing people, Jesus being at the top. However, Peter, who walked with Jesus, 
and was there at the Sermon on the Mount and at the Transfiguration who saw Moses. He is telling us and he's telling his hearers in Asia Minor the privilege. How privileged they were and how privileged we are to be in the time and the place that we are in because we are in the days of fulfillment. When Jesus explains to the disciples the purpose of parables, he says to them at the end, he says to his, to his disciples, he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see, longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Matthew 13, 16. And so what Peter is telling us in verses 10 through 12 is what Jesus said to the disciples before, long before you, before Peter, before all Christians, there was a holy people, a devoted people. There were righteous persons, prophets, who wanted, desired, even longed to hear and to see and to experience what we get to behold, what we get to experience. And so the, the point is, is do you understand? And it's okay to say no. Do you understand how blessed and privileged we truly are? Do you understand in the span of salvation history how privileged we are that as the church, those who are in Christ, we are? We now get to experience all the blessings and all the joys of the gospel. That, that we get to read the entirety of, of God's word. We get to hear it preached. We get to hear it taught. We get to hear it heralded over us over and over. And so Peter, drawing us in closer, drawing them in closer, as beaten and as battered as they may be, and white weary as they are, he is explaining to them, saying, do you understand the position that you have? Yeah. You're exiles to the goofy world. But you're elect. And you're suffering now, but you have a living hope of faith that is being tested through trials, but you are in an extreme position of privilege and blessing. But a privilege to what? A blessing to what? It's a privilege to hear, a privilege to see, a privilege to believe, to have a faith and understand the grace of God that is in the word of God given to us. And so in these verses, with the, including this whole section, there is this encouragement in, in our salvation and in our preparation for continued gospel living. And this morning... I'm going to show you from three different places here from this text how he is encouraging us as we prepare and continue to endure. That is the prophets, the evangelists, and the angels. Let's start off by looking at the text again in verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, 
Well, he's making the connection back to verse 9 and all that has been explained before, before that, the salvation that Christians experience now up into the, the consummation in the future. But there's more about this salvation that he has to tell us. So concerning this salvation that he already spoke of, listen up. There's more here. The prophets who prophesied about that, about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's verse 10 and verse 11. The salvation that we have, that we enjoy, is a salvation that is the fulfillment of prophecy. Meaning, this salvation that those who are in Christ, if you are a Christian, the salvation that now is yours, that you enjoy now, it isn't something that just happened by coincidence. It isn't something that was plan B. The cross was not plan B. Nor was God just making lemonade out of lemons. The prophets who prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, all the way back to Moses, were preaching and looking forward to the very grace that we enjoy now. The salvation that we experience of regeneration through Christ in the new covenant. The salvation that has been given to us. And this was God's intent from the very beginning. So who are the prophets that Peter is referring to? Well, these are the prophets of the Old Testament. I think name he's speaking about uh, Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and several other of the minor prophets who all told of the one who would come to be a sacrifice that would take away the sin, the iniquity of many. Prophets in the Old Testament in Israel played a, a huge role. It was almost as a as an office, a part of the nation of Israel. They were extremely important. The office somewhat began with Moses, as he talked about the office of, uh, of prophet in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, and the reason why is because Moses, he stood between God and man by receiving God's word and then giving God's word to God's people. And why? Why does that? The, the, the people, number one, they demanded it. And the reason why they demanded it, because they were afraid, they were fearful of the holiness of God. They were afraid of the, the, the voice of God. Even the reflected glory off the face of Moses made them fearful, where Moses had to put a veil over his face so that they wouldn't be scared. So God, being merciful, spoke to his prophet Moses and the prophets stood in the presence of God. They received the words of God and spoke that word in the presence of all the people. They were to instruct and in teaching from God, encourage them from God, to confront their sins from God, from God's word, to call them to repentance from God, and to point them forward to a future work that Peter is referring to here, future work in the Lord. So I want you to see, though, really quickly, a very important implication. 
question here, and that is, how has the God spoken to us? Do we hear now from prophets like prophets in the Old Testament today? Well, the answer to that question is no. We do not hear from prophets of old, but we hear God's word through his scripture alone. We hear only God's word from his Bible. So if anyone comes to you and they call themselves a prophet, just immediately reject them and not listen to them because this is all that we need. This is God's word. God has already spoken to us. And he has spoken to us through his and he has given us Christ so that no longer in Christ, that we are no longer fearful for those who are in Christ Jesus. The veil has been torn. The veil has been lifted. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Now each and every one of us can come to God's word and read it without fear. Not the main point being made here, but I wanted to make that very important. That was very important. I think it needs to be made clear. So this is a summary. Peter's are giving us a summary of all the work and the writings of the prophets. And Peter says that it all can be summed up as them working to determine when and how and where of the Messiah. That's the big picture. That's the, that's the big picture work of what the prophets prophesied and spoke on in their time to those people. However, their prophecy was a grace to be yours. Look again, look at verse 11. It says, they inquired what person or time. If you have the NIV, it says time and circumstances. And so this is kind of a, a, a debate of what's, what's interpretation is, and uh, uh, other nerdier people will argue about that. Uh, but I think both of these are very helpful. If I had them make a choice, I actually think the NIV is a little bit closer here. Um, again, don't listen to me in that way. Um, there's smarter people that can debate that. However, I think they're both telling us what the very things that they were looking for. They knew the person in particular was going to be the, the Messiah. It happened to be more of the time and circumstance of when the Messiah would appear. So the timing, I think, and circumstances was more what they were, what they were looking for. So if this is emphasized now, the prophets, though, was still... How were they guided? It says in verse 11, they were guided by the spirit of Christ in them, predicting the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Meaning these are the things that were given to them, not on their own, but by the spirit of Christ who was in them. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit who inspired, their words, which makes the words of the prophets authoritative and accurate, which is another implication of our passage this morning, the, the immense accuracy of God's word and the fulfillment of his prophecies. Looking ahead to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he is saying here. The prophets or the prophecies were not invented. They weren't just 
best guesses. They weren't morons on TV looking at the stars and the, and the astrology or storms or whatever. They're, they were men carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit that inspired their words, we can go back to is the same Spirit that has called you and set you apart for salvation and sanctification. Can we not just stop for a moment and just marvel at the sovereign hand of God? Marvel at the sovereign hand of God that the Spirit was revealing to the prophets the sufferings of Christ. Namely, I, I think Peter was really referring to here Isaiah, Isaiah 52 through 53, 52, 13 through 53, 12, where we hear the prophet Isaiah clearly describe the sufferings of the coming Messiah. It's the clearest that we see in, I think, the Old Testament. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. 52.14, despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, despised and esteemed him not. 53.3, he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 53.4, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. 53.5. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, 53.6. He was oppressed, afflicted, like a lamb led to the slaughter, 53.7. His was made with the wicked, 53.9. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, 53.10. He has poured out his soul to death, numbering transgressors, and bore the sins of many, 53.12. Christ has truly suffered. But Isaiah didn't just stop with the sufferings, didn't just stop with the sufferings of Christ, but in 53 he showed us why. For, for our iniquity, for our transgression, he was the substitutionary atonement for us. And then God's promises to restore his peace people based upon the new covenant that he will establish in the sufferings of Christ through Christ the Messiah, Isaiah 54 and 55. And then there would, through this new covenant, there will be this people from every tribe and every nation, Isaiah 56. So it wasn't just about his sufferings, but about his glories and what he would accomplish. His glories were sealed in the resurrection to conquer sin and death in order for sinners to be redeemed and adopted and transformed. Now did this, did, did all of this not happen? Was, was this not all fulfilled? Was not, not only this an encouragement to those who are following Jesus already, but, but this is laying out for us. Peter is also laying out an apologetic and a defense because each person has to deal with the reality of, the, of, of Christ, but also the veracity of Scripture as it speaks about Jesus from the beginning to the end, in that it's all true. There's not one point 
There is not one jot, one, did, uh, one jot, one point, not anything that will not come to pass. It's all true. Everyone must deal with the reality of this. Jesus was not just a good guy. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a good example. And we look at the Bible for those examples so that we can be better people in, in our world. He is the Son of God. And he came as the prophet said hundreds of years earlier. And he suffered and he died and he was resurrected for the salvation of sinners. And everyone must deal with that very. We learned this past Wednesday night, small group study on church history, we looked at Charles Finney, famous or infamous preacher and revivalist of the 19th century, who used pragmatic tactics to conjure excitement for events. He would love the lights and the smoke and the screens and the free Wi-Fi and coffee. We have free coffee. We don't have Wi-Fi. He used these pragmatics to conjure excitement for his events, and Finney had bad theology, to say the least. He emphasized God over man, and or, or man over God in every way. Good theologians and teachers and preachers at the time, such as Charles Hodge and B.B. Warfield, criticized Finney. Because his methods and his theology, but also because their, his theology and his methods continued to show or was without God. God can be missing from the whole thing and he can continue to gather the excitement and still people could come forward. Sin was not preached. Without substitutionary atonement in his message, he, he called thousands of people to come. And essentially, it was a call to come and morally change yourself and to be better, to do better, what I like to call unaffectionately drive-by guiltings. Many people would get excited. They would get excited about getting saved by this preaching and excitement, and yet there was no transformation or no lasting fruit, and it left people confused, frustrated, and at worst, deceived. I think of the scene. I think this plays right out of this culture that was started then. I think of the scene in the movie of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? When the three runaway prisons come upon a river and a mass baptism is taking place and the beautiful singing, Shall we come to the river and pray? Singing about that good old day. Right? And they're coming to the river and and one of them, I don't know which name, who he is, Harold, Joe, Donnie, Bob, I don't know. He runs to get into the line. He's enthralled by the excitement of what's happening. He jumps in line, and he goes in there, and he's in the water, splashing, and the preacher says something to him. because We get this side from the other two guys going, what is this weirdo doing? And he gets baptized, and he comes running out, and and it is the language that he gets to say is the, the preacher man baptized me and I, I'm saved and I'm forgiven and I'm, I'm a new man. But as the movie continues and as the other two guys know, not really. 
in popular culture, the Bible was portrayed as, unfortunately, as Finney put it, a book of morals, a book of ethics, a book of laws that are set to control you. And certainly we do know that the Bible is has filled with, with moral commands and guidances that God has told us that these are the standards of right and wrong, that these are what is true, and this is good for human flourishing. It's not just me trying to control your life and to make you miserable. It's for human flourishing. We're told that the Bible, however, is all these moral commands that but the Bible, as we see here from Peter, is so much more. It's telling us this one grand story of God bringing his people to salvation. And what Peter is saying, that salvation has come through Christ, but the story didn't start at Christ. It started earlier. What well, started with Jesus, definitely. But it continued through the people. God was working to bring about salvation of his people. God has created all things, but he created man in his own image. Man rebelled against God. And the results have been catastrophic. The results have rippling effects, not only through man, but has fractured all of creation. It has fractured man's relationship with God. It has fractured our relationships with each other. Living hearts, hearts that were once living and beating to the glory of God, have been turned to stone because of sin. The very nature of man, the very core of our being, has been corrupted. The mirror has been shattered and broken. And yet even when sin has come into this world, and with spiritual death and physical death has come, yet even then... Three, God announced his plan to restore. And then we have seen through through 1 Peter how God has continued throughout the Old Testament to announce his plan progressively through the prophets. And then in the fullness of time, God sent his son to accomplish his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the salvation that has been spoken of, of old. This is primarily what God's word is telling us. So it's him we repent. And it is him in whom we believe. And everything else is secondary. So what became clear, revealed, verse 12 to the prophets is what? It became clear to them, revealed to them, that all their searching and careful inquiring of the, the person and place or circumstances and time was all for what? Serving not themselves, but you. The desire, the intensity, the love, the hard work, the pressing in, the suffering in their day was all in hopes that they would see and they would enjoy the fulfillment of their day. Like Daniel, understanding of these Revelations that God was given him in Daniel chapter 12 and in Habakkuk waiting on the wall for the Lord to act and bring about the salvation and rescue and restoration of his people in Habakkuk 2 only to hear the Lord say just a little bit longer. You see brothers and sisters you are the heirs. You are the heirs of all the hopes and all the desires of the Old Testament. What 
a privilege. A privilege in which you stand that no matter the circumstances that we are facing, what was hidden for ages is now for us, for the church. It has been revealed to you. It has been revealed to me. So what does this do? Brothers and sisters, why is he saying this? Why is he saying, come close and listen to this? Because it is to intensify our joy. It is to intensify our love and our desires for God. That's what it's for. It's to draw you in closer. And when you look at God's word, you see it in a way that the prophets could have never imagined. This is our desires and our interest and joy for God's word, for the things of God, for the exaltation of Christ. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It deepens the well of enjoyment of God. And it strengthens the joy and the bonds that we enjoy together. Does that encourage you? Does that deepen your love and your appreciation? Because that's what privilege is to do. Privilege is to humble us. And deepen us. And humility. To make us more caring and loving. And serving and more free with the things that the Lord has given us. The prophets endured waiting for it. And brothers and sisters, we endure with it. We have the gospel. So our look for encouragement and preparation has taken us back to the prophets, and that was a very long point, I know. But next he takes us right into the present. Back to the text in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they, again the prophets, were serving not themselves, but you. In the things, the things, the salvation we talked about earlier, in the grace and the glories and the sufferings of Christ that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This next encouragement for you comes as verse 12 is telling us that from the evangelists that God has sent, from the preachers that God has sent, we are to be encouraged. Let's slow down for just a second. The prophets were not serving themselves, but who were they serving? You. They were serving you. They were not serving themselves, they were serving you. They were serving is the gospel message, the culmination of what the prophets longed for, the things that they were longing for has been what? Announced to you. Announced to you. Again, so, so here's this problem, right? You. 
You, 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 you. These things have been given to you. They've been announced. They have been heralded. You remember the Christmas story when the angels descended and they did what? They heralded the good news that Christ is born. Well, this is what's happening to us, right? When the gospel news is being preached and proclaimed over us, it is the good news being announced to you. It's being heralded over you. Now, it's easy in our Reformed tradition that we like to be in, and maybe it's just me, that we, we don't highlight the you or the me. We have a heart for the glory of God. Praise God, right? We have a heart for the glory. We want him magnified in all things. Not me, but Christ. Yet sometimes that pendulum of seeking so much of the glory of God that it is so far over that we miss God's sovereign grace that he has announced the gospel to you. Not because you're special. Not because you're cool. You're deserving. Or that God desperately needs you on his team. That is not true. He has chosen to announce his gospel to you by his grace. And by his mercy, you have received it. And you've received it by faith. And so Peter is pulling the elect exiles close to say this isn't. But God has brought his word to you. You know how in suffering when you start to question. And you begin to doubt, does God really love me? This is Peter saying, oh, you better believe he does. his word to you where the world makes you feel like a nobody ha. God announced his word to you praise the Lord how he has announced his good news to you the things that have been long awaited for and anticipated he has done through to you and he has done so through the proclamation of the gospel the preaching of the good word the God's word, the teaching of the word of God, the evangelist and through the preacher. So there were these prophets, they predicted, they anticipated the coming of the gospel, and now, and now those who actually proclaim the fulfillment of the gospel, the evangelist, the preacher. We enjoy the preaching of the fulfillment of what they longed for. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Along with the preaching of the good news, we see here is, once again, the role of the Holy Spirit. Now the prophets and the preachers, evangelists, they share this in common. 
how the Holy Spirit leads them and guides them. God sends His Word. And this is to be an encouragement to those who are suffering, Christians who are suffering, that He has sent His Word to them through these preachers, through these evangelists. What a privilege. Could you recall when the Lord, when the Lord sent His Word to you? Where you were, where you had truly had the ears to hear and the eyes to hear and to see. You might remember who was there and who was speaking in the place. Or, or maybe for you it was over time the, the Lord wooed himself through maybe a friend or evangelist or preacher to you or a friend who was like an evangelist or preacher to you. That was the Lord by his Holy Spirit proclaiming the gospel over you that you would believe and that you would repent. What grace has God's word opened our eyes. Since then, could you, could you count the amount of sermons you have heard and how much gospel teaching you have sat under? I, I tried to do some kind of goofy math this week to figure it out. I'm not very good at math. But I tried to figure it out, and, and it was like well over like a thousand and something since the day I started college to now at least once a week. So that's pretty simple, though, isn't it? Like once a week, 52 times, however old I am, I'm going to tell you, 20-something uh, years, and did the math. So it's like well over a 1,000 messages, plus the ones I've listened to, podcasts, plus the ones I listened to in, uh, at, uh, at conferences, and then minus the ones I just tried to forget, right? Because they were good. And how many times has God's word been preached to you where it has stirred your heart toward Christ. It has stirred you to the repentance of your sin. To want to dive in and, and deeper. To, to go further and lean in more. To be, to be more faithful. To be brave and to be courageous in your faith. To give more. To serve more. To love more. Do you see all the joy? Do you see the all joy building source of the preaching of God's word in your life? Can you see the privilege in which we have to be hearers of God's word preached? And he has announced the gospel to you. You. And lastly, a much shorter point. But it needs to be recognized at the end of verse 12. We gain an encouragement from angels, which I think this point is quite peculiar. It says the things, which are the gospel, right? The things into which angels long to look. It's not just the prophets who were searching and inquiring to the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ and the preacher who by the Holy Spirit proclaimed and preached the good news to, to, to you. But now, see that it's the whole host of millions and millions, myriads of, of angels who are longing to look on what we have been given and what we see. The word here, to look, literally means to, 
to bend over and to gaze through the hole. Like gazing through a fence or, or gazing through the, the cartoons, gazing through the keyhole, right? Like I think Alice tried to do that. Gaze through the keyhole and see. Because these angels, they long to see, they long to, to, to look, who they've who've had a very important place in, in salvation history, but they're watching it as it all is being unfolded, and they're stunned, and they're amazed, and they're wanting to see the glory of God being worked in the gospel throughout the world and in his kingdom as it continues to be built. They don't experience the gospel like we do. They do not need redemption, but they long to see it. And they long to see it continually worked out in our lives, lost to come to Christ. And they're stunned by it. They're amazed by it. And they sing even louder to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Who was slain. They're longing to see it. Longing to see the fulfillment and the work of the gospel. What they long to see is what we experience. What a privilege and position in which we stand. On October 6th, which was this past week, but on October 6th, 1536, 485 years ago. That's a long time. A man named William Tyndale was put to death. William Tyndale was strangled to death. They literally tied him to a post and wrapped ropes around his neck and just pulled. And after he was dead, they burnt his body at the stake. What was his crime? William Tyndale's only crime was translating the Bible into English. Translating the Bible into English so that everyone who could read would be able to read God's Word. The, the scriptures we hold today, the ESV and the NASB in particular, are very close to William Tyndale's translations. His dying words were this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Why would someone do that? Why would someone give themselves for something like that? I think he understood the privilege. The privilege that which we have in God's word. And everyone should have access to it, right? Brothers and sisters, let's not take for granted the privilege that we have been given in God's word. What the prophets longed for, what the preachers and evangelists who have announced it to you, and what the angels long for. We have God's word. He has given us faith in Christ. He has adopted us as sons. And we have now union with Christ in the body of Christ.
and the dwelling of his Holy Spirit. What a gift. What a privilege. What great mercy and what great grace he has given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Forgive us where we do not fully understand or even know how to take full advantage of the mercy and gifts you have given to us through your word. The hearing of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, to understand that we are the fulfillment of what we've seen in the Old Testament, of what we get to hear and what the angels longed for. Father, for everyone who is in Christ this morning, who is a follower, Jesus professes him as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that this will intensify their desire and their love and their joy for, for you and for Christ and for your word. And would be humble and, and to receive it and to become that evangelist and preacher to the lost. Lord, for those who are not in Christ, for the unbeliever this morning, we pray they would be stirred and wooed by the Holy Spirit that the gospel, that as it has been announced this morning, that you would call them to repentance and faith in Christ. That they too may enjoy the benefits of being born again and the glorious inheritance that it's await for us as we continue to endure and persevere. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.